Hey guys, Doug here from AnimeCon TV. Not expecting to have to do another episode so quickly, but with the Otakon news that just broke recently, I wanted to talk to a couple people about it to get their opinions, and thankfully, Lauren and John from Gunpla 101 and a lot of other places on the internet uh, were able to join me and talk about kind of what our impressions are on the Otakon news. So I want to thank them again for joining me, and with that, Further ado, here's my interview with them. Thanks. Hey guys, Doug here. Uh, just real quick before we get to this week's episode of AnimeCons TV, I had a little bit of technical difficulty recording with Skype. It looked like uh, everyone was getting full on in the screen, but then when we looked back at the video, John got a little bit cut off, so my apologies, John. I wanted to say thank you once again to John and Lauren for joining me for this week's episode because we got into some really good discussion. Unfortunately, uh, the video is not the best quality, and we didn't want to try and recreate the whole thing, so it's a little weird. Thankfully, it's better if you just listen to it and everything like that so a few little technical difficulties but we're doing all right and hopefully we'll be able to give another better in-person interview with them very soon um as always thank you guys for watching and enjoy this week's episode thanks all right welcome back to anime cons tv everybody there's been some very interesting news with otakon in this week and i'm bringing in two friends who have i've seen at several otakons have gone to several conventions themselves, and they let me talk about Gundam on some of the websites they run and everything like that. So without further ado, I'm going to let our guests this week introduce themselves. Thanks, Doug. Well, I'm Lauren, and this is my husband, John. And I guess what we're most known for these days is we write Gumpla 101. That's Gumpla101.com. And it's a tutorial site that shows everyone how they can build Gumpla. I, I've learned more than a few tricks myself, so. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I guess that makes us kind of unlikely guests to talk about the news. I mean, before Gunpla 101 was my main thing, I used to go by the Otaku Journalist. I still do. And I found myself in the position of kind of breaking some news on Twitter, though it was not an exclusive. I, I this was This was so weird, yeah. So... You found out this news um, about Otakon, and I guess the news is that they are kind of seeing how things go, and they put out the thing saying, we're watching carefully whether or not we'll be able to hold Otakon 2021, or if we'll have to close our doors forever. And they put out a page for looking for donations. So you kind of broke the news to a lot of people, including myself. How did you find out about this news. Did you get this email, John? I still haven't got it, but I'm trying to recall what account I used to sign up for my Otakon membership. Well, I always um, sign up for your Otakon membership. Oh, okay. I have them like saved in my one password. I mean, that's kind of what happens when you're married. Everyone takes a different task. Like I'm the one who signs us up for Otakon every year. And then you're the one who checks the IRS website to see, wait a minute, how's Otakon doing after we get the news? Yeah. So you so, got a so. just random email. Yeah, because I'm a member of Otacorp. 
Because what people don't always realize is that when you're signing up for Oticon every year, you're not really signing up to go to an event. You're renewing your membership, one of the perks of which is you get to attend the event. And this, this is also something that happens also with Anime Boston. It's the event run by the New England Anime Society. And it's why they, you know, it's not like you're buying a ticket or you're buying a badge. The, the language is often you're buying a membership. Yeah, I guess it's because these are 501c3s. Mm -hmm. um, so, but this was, so this email with this news went out to people on the um, newsletter and I saw you just commenting on it and I was like, wait, what's going on? And, you know, I've covered Oticon as press for almost 10 years now. I, I, I've lost track at this point. And I, I was checking my email, like, what's going on? And I had to get a copy of the email from you to see this news. Yes, and... I forwarded it to a couple different journalists who were covering the news. I was just, like, I, I didn't expect to be the person breaking this news because it was just a standard boilerplate email, which I assume they meant to send out to all members. Yeah, it was... I, and before we get too much further along, I want to preface a lot of what I'm going to be saying is that I know for me personally, Oticon is one of my favorite conventions. I always have a great time every year I go. So if I'm taking them to task, it's not to be mean. Um, but there's some stuff that's really kind of frustrating for me as someone that always looks at this con and thinks they do things well or they're always trying to do things better. So I just want to preface that, but as a member of press, I never got it. And we're now recording this a full 24 hours after that newsletter went out. Mm -hmm. And I still have not seen anything from a press channel. Um, the only thing on both their Twitter and their Facebook pages is a thing saying, some people got this uh, email and were wondering if it's really us. Yes, it's real. And <laughs> <laughs> the comments so many of the comments are like is what real <laughs> like it's it's a really kind of sloppy ro rollout and yeah that's not great ops if you have to be like yes it's real if it doesn't look legitimate right and the messaging i think is very important for these kind of communications is like planning it out making sure it goes out probably to press first before you just generally spread it to the public and then say by the way we're not in great financial position is is really like it's a weird thing to come through this channel yeah i mean the fans are going to be the ones that are you know possibly donating and so i understand you want to get it direct to them but the, the newsletter first really seemed like a strange outlet um so again otakon has kind of put the call out that they are in some tight financial straits did this come as a surprise to you guys? Where did you guys land on reacting to the news? Yeah, as I put in my tweet, I said I was very surprised that they were in such a tight position. Because, I mean, on the one hand, they weren't holding the event last year, so mm -hmm. they weren't able to make money on the event. But on the other hand, they weren't spending money, right? Uh, 
Well, it's more complicated than that. And and I tried Wait, to do some research we should, on this. We should preface that John's an economist. Yeah, so th- that's a good place to <laughs> Which start. Which is why he's here. <laughs> and I, I'm an economist, and uh, I don't, you know, my day job is not this kind of economics. But um, overall, I did some open source research once I saw and, and heard this news from Lauren to say, what are the latest financial disclosures? Because as a... Uh, 501c3, they have to publicly release um, their financial disclosures every year. And so I just pulled the last reported year, which I think was 2018? It was 20... Or 2019? Yeah. I don't know which one one was available. Well, as someone responded to my tweet, one of them is in the process, but I guess because of COVID, the IRS is behind. So it's not like Oticon skipped um, reporting a year. It's just it's not all. Right. It's just lagging so those those reports can tell you a little bit of information i didn't do a deep analysis of it to to really fully get a grasp of their financial situation but i could tell at a high level like revenue to expenses they're pretty tight they're not they're not walking away from oticon in 2018 with a large sum of money from the convention event itself um i will say it was very clear that they're not paying salaries to anybody so like, there's not a lot of expenses except the event expense. Um, however, having worked some cons in the past, I would have, I would assume, and I don't have any information to back this, and don't have any sources who have told me anything, but I would assume that the convention center cost is pretty high for the DC uh, convention center. As, as someone who has been, uh, I used to be the facilities manager for Anime Boston, and I would see some of those payments, and yes, that is one of the largest single costs you'll face uh, for a convention. And this is something um, that a lot of people sometimes don't realize is that, you know, many con- conventions and Oticon especially prides itself on being, you know, by fans, for fans, and because making themselves a uh, not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. So they, they're not making money on any, you know, anything that goes for badge costs or whatever goes back into putting on running the event so yeah on the one hand it's great it's like they're just like us the people putting it on and on the other hand oh they're just like us i mean (laughs) they might not not have professional event um experience i mean a lot of people who who volunteer would definitely do but it's not it's I, i feel like having volunteered for several years at anime boston and some other cons um when you volunteer at a convention you're not always uh, a pro at it at the start. And yeah, you, you have the time, time, you have the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. But I guess some sometimes that's not enough. And that's why like a lot of cons, like Anime Expo, pay a salary to some of their people year-round in order to keep that thing going. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, if I remember um, when Oticon was canceled and they were going to turn the... Um, convention center into a field hospital for COVID. So they're like, well, we definitely can't let you have the convention here. Um, it's just, shouldn't they have gotten their deposit back? The, and there's, that's a lot of the legal thing. Like some of it is there, they may have gotten some of the deposit back, but not all of it. Um, you have to put put down deposits years in advance, especially for oh. big venues like that. So there's that. And you also have to look at some of the other things you've seen for Oticon, like they had to have the spin-off con in Oticon Vegas, which mm-hmm. 
many of us were surprised lasted more than one year because it seemed like it was such a yeah. poor decision. There was always a rumor that it was like a vacation for Otakon volunteers. Yeah. So you volunteer with us, you get to go to Vegas. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to touch that rumor necessarily, but yeah. uh, I, I will say what I did see in the financial disclosure from I believe it was 18 is that Otakon Vegas was very, very small. They did break it out as a separate like income stream compared to the main event. And like the main event grossed, I think, about two million, two and a half million dollars in revenue. So that's not including expenses. Oticon Vegas was like 46K or something. It was not a big number. So that could be part of the reason why they're having trouble financially compared to some other not for profit cons. Um, the other thing that I would think might have happened is the rumor that I had heard is that they have a contact contract for five years with the convention center in DC and they made the move to DC in 2017, I think was the first year um, from Baltimore. And I think last year would have been year four if I'm doing the math correctly. Yeah. I mean, they, they just moved and it turned out to be a bad time. I mean, no one could have foreseen. Yeah. And anybody who's worked in cons long enough knows that when you move a convention, you see a dip the first year anyway, as people reacclimate to the new location and learn like the, the, all those memories from Baltimore, you kind of like, you, you need to relearn. Do I want to go to this new convention in a new city? The cost in DC is way higher than the cost in Baltimore. So there's like a lot of factors. And I think they saw a dip from that. Plus Otakon Vegas probably wasn't the moneymaker that maybe they thought it would be, or, or maybe didn't actually return as much as they put into it. I don't know that for sure, but um, there's probably a couple different factors. But I would say they're not the only con that's at risk. Um, yeah, I, I think this is just kind of one of the, it's the most prominent one. I think there's, mm-hmm. before 2021 ends, and it feels like weird saying this as we're recording in January, I still think we are going to see that there's going to be a couple conventions that just can't recover. And it's unfortunate, but this is, you know, part of it is being not for profit. So you can't keep too much in reserve. You you do need to mm-hmm. have some on hand and things like that. Um, but there's, you know, there's some things you just can't predict. So, and I guess the next question I want to ask, though, is as we're seeing this and we don't know what the final fate is going to be what are some lessons you think some convention organizers need to take um about this like from oticon's example either as what to do or what not to do kind of cautionary tale that's a really hard question yeah (laughs) we're just fans um it's hard to say how you avoid because i don't think oticon necessarily did anything wrong per se. Yeah, for not foreseeing a global pandemic. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they made poor choices. I mean, maybe you could argue the Las Vegas Oticon wasn't the best decision, but when they made that decision, I think they were sitting on plenty of, of revenue and they were in a different situation and not no way could they have predicted in two years or three years there would be a global pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, that the country would just completely bungle. And 
it's just I think this is like this yeah. is a tough one, but maybe it comes back to like contract terms and going forward being prepared for maybe having to cancel. Um, yeah, I, I do think about like was it was it let's say that the pandemic never happened. Was moving to DC a, a good idea? It's just am, yeah. am I is it nostalgia that makes me think that it belongs in Baltimore? I know that they left because they could not get the Baltimore Convention Center to commit to expanding or give them a timeline of what it would look like. Um, so they called their bluff and walked. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I look at this at the lens, and again, I don't have all the information. I wonder, you know, if there were some things that they did that's like, we have to do this. It's always been this way. And like after Vegas was, you know, started to see that that was not the financial success they planned on, could they have said, okay, here's some areas where we need to cut costs a little bit more? Uh, and like I look at, you know, their staff, staff is a level that I look at a lot for conventions. And I know there's, you know, no one convention has it perfect. But I sit there and wonder, okay, you've got however many hundred people on staff do you need all these people here? And I think, again, this is, I could be wrong, so. Yeah, Oda, uh, Otakon staffing is one of the most exclusive that there is. Like, in order to be on Otakon staff, you need to have two recommendations from existing staff members, or you need to have, like, five years as a, is it called a gopher? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I don't think they kind of reset the staff um, hmm. You guys have, we all three of us have been on Anime Boston staff yeah. as a comparison. And basically every year you have to reapply for your position. Yes. Unless you're one of their executives that, that are elected. So it kind of gives the, the staff kind of a chance to say, you know, do we need this large of a department in this area? Reassess and stuff like that. So you kind of cut trim some of the fat there. And I have to wonder if at the same, a very similar size to Anime Boston, if that's something Otakon could do, you know, should be doing. But, and again, that's just one example, but also just looking at what are some other areas where we could have, you know, leaned up a little bit more and things like that, you know, perhaps. And I know they've had some great musical acts in the past, mm -hmm. but they've had, you know. We you had know, jam projects. Yeah, I mean, I think of, like, you know, concerts that have been incredible, but they've been, like, three headliners. And it's like, maybe we should have only brought two this year or yeah. things like that. And that's, again, hard Japanese to predict. Japanese guests and Japanese bands, you're right, are very expensive. But they also attract so many um, attendees. And remember how Otakon, like, they added another day, the, the Matsuri day on Thursday? Yeah. I yeah. mean, they got bigger and bigger. I think... Lauren, what you actually said makes a it, there's this this danger of growing, right? When your con is growing rapidly or or fast, and you and you just keep trying to go bigger and better and bigger and better, sometimes you get yourself in a trap. And I think it could be the case that Otakon was in this position to begin with because they made the move, because they had been growing so rapidly in Baltimore, they outgrew their current convention space. They had to make a move. And then 
they still didn't cut back when they made the move. They tried to, to go bigger to attract more people. Um, and then that didn't work out for reasons. Yeah. And with growth, you know, eventually you reach the point where you cannot have any more attendees in your space and you hit a, an attendance cap. And then all of a sudden that puts a cap on how much revenue you can, you know, get per attendee. And you either have to raise prices or say, okay, this is the most we can bring in. And now, I, Doug, I'm wondering if the people who, if all the people who are um, listening to this or watching this know that Oticon is over 20 years old. Like it's one of the top 10 cons in America mm -hmm. by. Um, attendees. It's just one of the most storied cons there is. We and and we've seen much smaller cons have problems. Like uh, what was that? What was that stupid con that decided to have a buffet in the middle of the pandemic? Because oh. they're like, we can't. We'll we'll die if we don't. Right. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. And this is there. There's so many small cons and, and small con stories that you hear about now. Um, that exist, right? And, and then there's the, the and that didn't pole. surprise me at all. Where this guy's like, "Well, I had to have everyone cough on the buffet in a pandemic, or else we'd, uh, or else our con would die." But I never thought that Oticon would be in trouble, right? Yeah, and like for me personally, like again, I've I've been going. This would have been, or last year would have been my twentieth year going to Oticon, and I did not get in at the beginning. And it's weird to think. Like, we, we hope Oticon, you know, gets back on its feet and things get better. But if Oticon has to close, this is going to be a thing that has a huge effect on the convention landscape. There wasn't really any other big convention in that kind of late summer. In the mid-eastern seaboard. Yeah. yeah. In, at this time. And you're right, Doug, that what will happen if Oticon does fold is that there will probably be a rush to fill that void by other cons trying to take that prime summer spot. Yeah. Because... Yeah, that was, some, that was untouchable. Right. Because it, Oticon had it. Right. Nobody would want to go same weekend or even weekends around Oticon in the, same, in the eastern seaboard because you couldn't compete. So. Yeah. Um, that's, that's true. It would, it would shake up the landscape. And I think, I don't know which con is poised to step in and fill that void. That's, I've, I've, I've wrestled with that a thought as I've, because the, some of the closest ones like in size and date are still not quite the same as Oticon, um, anime next in New Jersey, but that's more, that's more June. Whereas, Oticon is usually late July and August. Yeah. And then there's also uh, Anime NYC, which has been growing successfully. That's also... But, that, but that's November. Mm -hmm. that, that leaves a very big gap. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but before we bury Oticon prematurely, yeah. I mean, we should point out that they are accepting donations right now. Um, I have not donated yet. I'm wondering if you have. I'm going to tell you why I haven't yet. <laughs> I, I have not yet. However... One of the things I did find interesting is because it's a not-for-profit organization, um, Otacorp is on Amazon Smile, where they you know donate a percentage, a very small percentage of any purchase you do through Amazon Smile, and it's the same prices. Um, you can set it up to donate to Otacorp, but I personally have not yet, partially 
because it, I didn't get paid till today. So I was waiting till payday. But I'm curious about your reason. Okay, so I mean, I mean, I love Otakon. I would hate if anything happened to it. That sounds a little like a threat. But what I'm thinking is, you know, when you donate to a Kickstarter and they break down in a pie chart, like what we're going to use your money for, here's the deliverables, this is where it's going. With Otakon, it's just like, please give us some money. And then that that's it. I, what are they going to use it for? Let's like, well, I'd, I'd love to see like a bar or like a, a progress bar showing how much they've earned. It's like, if we make 10 K we'll use it to like get our deposit back or. Right. I, I think something that, and this is my feeling as well. And why I also have not donated yet is I'd like to really know more about what their situation really is. And what if we all donate and Otakon still dies? What right. what yeah. happens? I, I would just love some transparency there because Otakon, I hate to say it, they do have a um, history. Um, we were just talking about the Otakon Kickstarter, the Otakon video game Kickstarter scam. Where that wasn't Otakon That wasn't itself. Otakon itself. They partnered with a video game studio, Studio Nasu, that was kickstarting $20,000 in order to make a video game about Otakon, taking place at Otakon. It would have characters like Ice Cold Water Guy, which anyone who's been to Otakon... I, he In came, Baltimore. Yeah, I think he came to DC. Uh, I'm not One sure. time, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, just, you know, like legends of Otakon. And anyway, he didn't just make 20000 He made 33000 which um, is... A, he may have made more than that, and then he never delivered. He, I say well, he, but I mean the studio never delivered, and then Otakon said we have nothing to do with them. B before we go down the route of assuming that Otakon doesn't know how to to operate their finances and and do that, okay. because yeah, they, they might. Yeah, they. The I mean, they've is, been here for more than right. twenty years, so. But it, it does feel like similar to kickstarting something, right? Like, what are we really paying for? Are we paying for you to? because you have an agreement you need to, to pay for and you don't have the money. Like, tell us more about like what is really driving your decision here? Because I'd like to know, like, is, is that, can we, find I love, this I love Otacon. I want it to continue. Like I, yeah. it's one of my favorite cons. Um, I, and it's definitely and I, right here in our backyard. Yeah. I think, and I, I think that transparency angle goes back to kind of this rollout is, not only did they kind of stumble out the gate with getting this news out, all of a sudden it's out of nowhere. They're asking for money, and now we don't even know what it's going to go to. That that sends up some big red flags, right? I mean, it. it, it I would assume it's going to paying some of the bills they have to pay. So, like the, the we talked about the convention center fee, which I'm sure there's something with that. They might have got some of their deposit back. They might have had insurance. This is all speculation, and we have no idea because we're not privy to any of that. But um, yeah, it just says your generous gift to Otacarp, um helps us keep Oticon going, and you can they they suggest either anywhere from five dollars to two hundred dollars, and remind you that's tax deductible, which it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they are they are a five yeah, but, C3. But, but sure enough, I don't know more than that what it would go towards. So. Some other costs that maybe we didn't talk about that they definitely have on a yearly basis. And keep in mind, they're not selling memberships or haven't been. So they, or maybe they, I don't recall, did they refund last year? They did, right? 
I think it was, if it I recall correctly, some of it, some of it was possible refunds. Some of it was rollover into the next year. Okay, so I think they gave people the choice, and there's no way to know how many people chose to be refunded versus all registrations over. for 2020 were automatically registered for 2021. If you are unable to attend in 2021, you can request a refund. Usually, they don't accept refunds at all. Yeah. It's, so it's, I mean, it's it's, it's a lot of logistical headaches. Yeah, yeah. So they probably received some registrations before they gave the word that they were rolling over. But when was this announced? Because that would have been early. I, I'm trying to They recall. announced on August 10th was their last update. So I can't see when the blog first went up because I bet they announced it sooner than August 10th. Yeah, yeah. They, it was. It, it just says say, last update. I'm surprised that they didn't do a blog post with this announcement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, again, finding this information has been weird, right? And and that's what's kind of a little off-putting about it in general. And and just before we close the chapter of like everything they have to pay for, I know for a fact, based on their disclosure, they have to pay legal fees on a yearly basis, and they have to pay for accounting on a like a yearly basis, and probably some other white collar collar stuff that you. Yeah, just because they don't have the con doesn't mean they don't have taxes. Right, you still yeah. got to file taxes. You still probably have to have somebody on retainer in case there's any legal issues. And, I mean, Oticon is such a big con that their name gets... They have to defend their they name. They were in Metal Gear. They I were mean, in Metal Gear. They were right. credited. They were credited in the credits yeah. for Metal Gear. They worked with Studio Madhouse to create a special um, film for their opening at one point. Like, they, they've had to protect their IP, obviously. So... Um, that's not cheap, and I know that that's several hundred thousand dollars based on what they, you know, for, for just yeah. like the legal, yeah. keep the lights on expenses, not even have the con. Um, yeah, maybe by fans for fans, but they know when to bring in professionals. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think they, they, they con I mean, almost any convention that gets big enough contracts out certain services that they just can't provide, such as registration vendors, security. Um, even a a like yeah. fancy yeah. yeah. Um, but turning to other things, you know, we so we talked a little bit about lessons for convention runners, which a lot of that is have some in reserve. There are things that you can't predict, um, and just keep be transparent with some of the stuff when you do have to, you know, kind of pass the pass the hat around a little bit so to speak but whatever what are some of the lessons for attendees uh, that you could they can take away from this lessons for attendees can you i'm trying to think about uh, that like the i keep coming back to like you know don't think of you know um you know uh, how to put this e even a con that's been around for a long time might not be around forever and that sounds like a very negative lesson but i think a lot of it is you know remember that a lot of these cons are not for profit that they do have to they need volunteers they need yeah it it's support it's actually i think doug what you're trying to say is don't take your cons for granted that right? is yes that'd be a good way to put it you know it, enjoy them. Don't assume that they're always going to be there. And I think we've seen this in other cases too. Um, 
not even big big cons so big and small cons alike Otacon and others there's been a lot of drama related to some other cons uh, in the dc region um related to like magfest oh yeah and, mag magfest was having trouble for a completely ooh, different reason yeah, not yeah. Like, right and mm-hmm. you know any any number of things can cause a con to to go out of business um even if they're not for profit for profit not for profit bad management a bad year um bad decision when it comes to moving location or time like i've seen several cons that had pretty good reputations, just, you know, mid-sized cons in particular with good reputations just suddenly go from being okay and growing to stumbling and going away after two years. Yeah. Like, two bad years, and that could be enough to kill a mid-sized con. Yeah. And, the, and those changes happen faster than you can you think sometimes. Like, the, there's that's the thing that always is you wake up one day and it's like, wait, this con's again to use the Otacon example. Wait, this con's in trouble. Right. Uh, so it's and I, the only other thing, and I feel like this is kind of the old man wagging his finger at the young kids, but it's you know we say don't take your cons for granted. You know, if you're going to a convention, support it. Like, you know, don't try and ghost a convention and sneak in without a badge pay for your convention because your membership does go to things that'll benefit you. And it, it makes your experience better overall. Mm -hmm. And, and consider, consider being a volunteer one year. And also there's the thing, like if I say, Oh, I'll give a panel next year, I'll do a cosplay next year. I mean, there might not be a next year. (laughs) Fatalist. But 2020 changed a lot of things. And obviously we're going to, the impacts of what all has changed from that are still yet to be seen. Um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what cons look like. Are we still going to have buffets? Are we all going um, crowd to crowd around in the dealer's room? Are people going to wear masks? I mean, we were wearing masks kind of before because, you know, yeah. a cool looking. Yeah. Uh, this, this, like is the second week in, this is the second interview in a row. Masks becoming normalized or hopes they're becoming normalized came up. Uh, I was talking I with Lindsay from a- A&N and it's like, yes, yes. I mean, John and I were ready for the pandemic because um, we already had a bunch of masks that we had started wearing when we got sick ever since our last trip to Japan. Yeah, we just got into, right, mask culture is big in Japan, so it was easy for us to adapt to wearing masks. I know not everybody has adapted as quickly or easily, but um, I think AnimeCon attendees in general will probably be more receptive to that if that's what it takes. But yeah, I feel like there's this um, feeling of like what whatever it takes to get back to cons. Yeah, I miss them so much. But I also <laughs> wonder. I wonder if we're going to see when they open the doors again and say we're going to have an Otacon or we're going to have an Anime Boston. Are we going to see older people and people with young children sitting this one out? Right. If Otacon happens this year. Yeah. yeah. It, it's there's a lot of question marks of will everybody show up again because. Uh, yeah, I think the the first one that kind of can come back in normal capacity, and I use the word normal very lightly, I think there's going to be a lot, there's going to be, it's going to be a seesaw a little bit. There's going to be those groups that, those people that are like, I've missed convention so much, I'm going, I'm going full tilt, you know, I'm wearing five costumes a day, 
going to every single panel I can get to. I'm buying the entire dealer's room, everything like that. But I think there's also going to be that other group that's like, yeah, I'm going to wait and see what happens and see if it's the, you know, the pandemic's truly over before yeah. I start going. Through. And I've also heard several people say this about Oticon specifically, like Oticon is, is in the midpoint of the year, a little later than midpoint of the year. Yeah. It, it is highly possible that it could happen. I, I think it's safe to say that anime Boston probably won't. I mean, it, it's still limited to 10 person um, meetups yeah. in uh, Boston right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if 10 people's allowed, but uh, it's just like I've kind of given up on stuff happening early in the year, even if, if there have yeah. been announcements. Um, I don't really think Anime Next is going to happen. I don't know. Yeah. But Otakon, I thought, maybe had a fighting chance. Otakon was my kind of most optimistic prediction of could probably still happen, and this news kind of took the wind out of my sails there. So... I mean, it, we're not going to make a prediction one way or the other, but it's it's going to be very interesting to see. So. Uh, John's stepping out because the computer is about to run out of juice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, while while John gets the computer some more power, um, I do want to kind of put a more positive spin on this because I think we have been... It's a little bit of a depressing topic. So... You guys have both gone to Otakon for several years. I've gone for several years. Several. I mean, I've been going since college. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not that young. No. Well, um, I'm 34. But... I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not shy about it. <laughs> oh, get off my I've own. been going since I was 19. Oh, God. And, I mean, and Otakon, you know, it was... It, it was always my dream to go to Otakon. I remember like when I was 14 begging my parents to go and then they like intentionally took the family on a road trip. So I wouldn't like try to sneak out and go to it. Oh, jeez. Uh, and uh, like, and, and then my friends came back with the, um, and gave me the, um, the, the panel guide and stuff. And I remember the really early chibis. Um, I, I remember that uh, Tristan Citrine was a, was a guest that year, you know, Charlene yeah. um, Ingram. So yes. the question I wanted to ask though, is what are, do you guys have some favorite Oticon memories to kind of put a more positive spin on? Oh, definitely our, our top Oticon memories, having a um, convention panel with our dear friend, Doug Wilder. <laughs> oh, about... no, no, not that guy. <laughs> yeah. We, we've had, I, I think Oticon through the years, this is interesting because um, Oticon was like my first or second real convention. Um, I This is a weird story. I'm going to give you an aside. My first convention experience, I was doing a high school event, and we were in D.C., and we just happened to be in the same hotel as Anime USA. So <laughs> I didn't know that it was the same time, but I knew what was going on. A lot of people were very confused and weirded out by all the cosplay and everything else, but... But you knew what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I was I was there for a different reason, not for the con. So Otakon, I think, was my real first experience um, at a con. And I remember the first time going Baltimore Convention Center, obviously. Just the inner harbor of Baltimore is amazing. And this was before the Hilton expansion, I guess, happened. Oh, yeah. So this was a yeah. long time ago. Uh, I don't even know what year it was, to be honest. 
Oh, I mean, uh, it was about, it was like 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, my memory is not, not in that place right now that I can remember that, uh, especially after 2020, feeling like 20 years on its own. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember. Oh, I remember me and my friends were staying eight people to a room. Yeah. And uh, John, you were staying with the anime club. He was anime club president in, in college. Well, our final year. He was our first male anime club president at, at college because men can do anything women can do. I mean, maybe. But um, you apparently they only like the, the club secretary only got one room. Got and like two John rooms for 20 in. people. Yeah. He, he stepped in, looked, and then left, and then showed up at our door. Yeah, I was like, that was... Um, oh, my God. Are, are people going to, like, share rooms like that after COVID? That's a really good... I mean, I think hotel space, all of this is questions of, like, what are people going to figure out on how... how will Is Otakon going to have to pay cleaning fees if they... Like, extra PPE fees or something? I don't know. Probably, yeah. If it, if it happens this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that my my memories of Otakon kind of evolve over time. And I think this is standard for people who go to cons for several years and decades. Mm-hmm. Is that when you're young, you love going to like every panel. You you want to stay up all night. Yeah, you stay up all night. You go to, to late night anime. You have no money, but. <laughs> right, uh, no money. You, you eat trash. You, you buy very small trinkets at in the dealer's room or you have very little to work with. And you eat fast food mm-hmm. for like every meal. Um, and then I remember we were like, we were like 26 and you got, we both had, um, real jobs and we just, we just stayed in a hotel. It was just two of us and we bought so much stuff in the dealer's room and we went to went that crazy. fancy, we went to that fancy restaurant. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we had a completely different convention experience. Right. Exactly. It was, you know, it, it evolves with, uh, how, how what you do and then later we started giving more panels so it was less like us yeah and attending. then it was giving back yeah it first, was... first it was like the you know doing whatever we could and then it was like just making the most of and it going crazy. and then it was how can we give back to otakon yeah and i i think that's something that evolves a lot um i'll share kind of two memories that always stick out as some of my favorite convention experiences at otakon because it's a little bit of how crazy I have gone as a fan. I want to say it was Otakon 2003, maybe 2004. Mm-hmm. So this is before most dealers had the ability to take your credit card at the booth. You still needed to carry cash at the thing. Mm-hmm. And I had like, I was down to like 10 bucks, you know, in, in my pocket. Could go to more. And I see at one booth the the action figure of the original form of the Devil Gundam thing. Um, I'm going to say, Pat, put a picture of it if you can in the podcast, because <laughs> yeah. it looks like a giant crab with a Gundam on top. And I, this was just as I was coming around to me, like, wait a minute, G Gundam's actually awesome. And I was like, how much is that? And it's like, oh, it's like $40. And I'm like, check my wallet. So now I'm like, can you hold it? And he's like, I can hold it for half an hour and then I have to put it, you know, you know, I have to go back and I will be, I will be right back. And so awkward nerd Doug, I mean, I'm still awkward nerd Doug, runs out of the dealer's room, runs up the stairs to the one ATM that has a bit of a line in the Baltimore Convention Center near the Starbucks little mm-hmm. kiosk, mm-hmm. right registration booth. I still remember it. Oh my right God. Paying yeah, me like I can, I can $5. See it. 
paying like the five paying like the five dollar ATM fee to take out forty dollars, running back to the dealer's room and buy that crazy figure. And I still have it, and I'm so proud of it. You but got it just... you got lucky that there was cash in that that ATM because the, yeah. <laughs> usually they just run out by yeah. like midday yeah. on on Friday or Saturday. Wow, I could just visually walk around Oticon in the Baltimore Convention Center. Like, actually, a lot of the time during this pandemic, maybe this is kind of pathetic, but uh, when I'm trying to fall asleep, I just pretend I'm walking around Oticon in the Convention Center. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, and it just really relaxes me. And, uh, man, I just miss there's, Con. There's a lot. Especially, of... especially Con you've gone to year after year. Yeah. Where and you, you, know the, you know the facility like the back of you know, it's interesting you say that because I can, I could probably find my way around the Oticon at the Baltimore Convention Center very easily still. Like anywhere I'd want to go, I'd be like, oh, I know where that is. Mm-hmm. They, they did reorganize and relay out a couple times, but not too much. Um, but DC, I don't think I could navigate it fully still. I'm uh, st- like, we're still just learning it. Oh, and guys. It's, it's a shame. Oticon that. memory. Remember when they pulled the fire alarm at the yeah. 4chan panel? Yeah. Yeah. Or politics were as scary and um, anime as they are today. Yeah. Well, before there was like the anime political connection, that there was just a 4chan panel and it felt very harmless, except for somebody pulled the fire alarm. This was like all outside, and actually it wasn't very funny. Someone got heat stroke. Right. This was like two years before the next fire incident, which was an actual fire, from my understanding. And like something going off in the kitchen or something. I was. Yeah, I was gonna bring up. The, the fire drill so it wasn't really a drill but like that's a memorable moment like yeah everybody evacuating a convention center probably 20 to thirty thousand people leaving and i was taking pictures of cosplayers with nutrigrain bars like giant nutrigrain bars because remember there was that meme no nature's valley nature, nature valley nature yeah valley. this was back when twitter was still fun uh, this they, was in 2014 yeah. nature nature's valley made like a comment like we love anime and everyone was just like <laughs> carrying nature's valley and they were yeah. asking nature's valley well which anime is better and it was just it, it was it's such a different time that's such yeah. a different topic to get into like brands and anime I mean, now like, because now they're arby's, so much better at it arby's writes about anime in every tweet now yeah. i mean yeah, they yeah, yeah. And it's, but like you also guys mentioned, like giving back and starting to do panels, and it's, it's still surreal to me sometimes, like how many panels I've done at Oticon and how much that means to me, and like how much better I got at being a panelist because of Oticon giving me a chance, and mm-hmm. kind of the best way to get over the stage fright was. Having to do that panel. Yeah. My, my first panel ever was at Oticon. It was in yes. 2013. It was sexism in anime with my friend The Patches on Twitter. I, I mean, wow, it would be terrifying to do a sexism in anime panel now. This was 2013. But at the time, it was just so welcoming. It was it was a group of like mm-hmm. 100 people. and. Oh, no, I think it was more than that. I think it was a large room, and you probably had We well filled more. it. Yeah. And it's just... Yeah. It, it was just so friendly. I mean, you don't get that. I, I don't know. We sound like such old fogies. We're like, remember the old yeah. days? Not yeah. like that today. I'll tell but, you, having been but, on both sides of the panel now, that I have fond memories of Oticon as well. And I think my first panel at Oticon was several years after the 2013 one for you. I don't remember the exact year. But we've been given prime time slots and late night time slots. 
And yeah, we both like were great. Was that what time was our? It was like midnight to <laughs> one or something. About yeah. I don't I don't know. It was it's just such a different mood than having a yeah. panel at three in the afternoon. Yeah, it's, and just yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so uh, to to yeah. sit there and like I'll have those memories forever of being in those panel rooms and seeing people come in and how many people are interested in what you're giving. In the same thing you're interested in. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what's so great about Otakon. It's huge. It, like, it's like 30,000 people who all have at least one thing in common with you. Yeah. And it's, it's always neat when you're a panelist. And th this is especially true at Otakon because it's such a larger convention. Of You have that moment of you're going in and you realize the line outside the door is not people waiting to get into the panel that's before yours. They're in line for your panel, yeah, and things like that. And I, I, I still like remember like, you know, talking weird time slots. This is one of my other favorite memories. Is Otakon twenty nineteen may have been or maybe it's twenty eighteen. Again, they all start to blur together. Be doing a panel with our our mutual friends Tom and Pat about giant robots, and it was like a nine a.m. panel, <laughs> and I. <laughs> just remember being so tired and like going to the little coffee shop there getting like a, a mini growler of cold brew coffee finishing it during the panel and then it came to time to for me to like defend or talk about how much i loved dirogger 15 or vehicle voltron realizing that i'm basically caffeine drunk as i'm ranting about this and because i'm realizing it i'm just leaning into it further and the, these are. This is why I still love Otakon. Is they have these moments, and you know, I I, I really want to see Otakon. You know, I want to see them get through this. You know, after this, I'm going to send them an email. I mean, no one's stopping me. I'm going to be like, hey, you know, I have some misgivings about donations. Um, where is it going? Um, yeah. I bet I bet I'm not the only person wondering because I was just thinking, I want to take Eva, our daughter, to Otachan. Ever, yeah. since, ever since I found I was pregnant, I'm like, oh, we can do Otachan, the, yeah, the, the kids, yeah. um, kids programming, yeah. yeah. And, and like, I mean, I see you guys at other, I've seen you at other conventions, but there are people I still only see at Otacon once a year, and mm -hmm. I, I, I will be really upset that if there's a, that part of that friendship ends, because it'll be so weird, and yeah, so... I, we're, I, I guess we're rooting for Otakon, I guess is the mm -hmm. bottom line. Yeah, I mean, we've said some things. We've, we've, we have speculated about some stuff. Yeah, we've, we've told um, baseless rumors. And, um, but <laughs> deep down, we just really we, want yeah, Otakon we, to survive. We really love Otakon. Yes. I mean, it's been so many years of really good memories, um, some fun times, some interesting times when we've had to evacuate and other things. But, like... Great, great memories of Otakon. Always will have those, no matter what happens. But I really want to see them get through this so that we can get a couple more years, hopefully, in D.C. and get a feel for what the real D.C. Otakon is. Yeah, they were like just coming into it. They were it. just coming into it. They're only a couple years in. People are still learning the ropes of D.C. <laughs> and learning, learning, the, learning the layout of the center. Learning, Where like, do they want to eat? Yeah, they, their local they, they for places for food, things like that. Yeah, yeah, and so it feels like you know, Otakon was really getting into the groove on that. Now, I think 
Last year would have been a great Otakon, which unfortunately couldn't happen. And I hope they can come back strong and either this year or next. Then the the one thing I'll, I'll just kind of close with is that if if they have to shut their doors, and I, I again, I we hope it doesn't come to that. I hope it's kind of how ADV films, like this is almost 10 years, probably 10 years now, kind of just changed their name and their branding. But it was the same core people working on everything as they became Sentai Filmworks and everything like that in Section 23 films. Yeah. If, if, if it comes that they have to shutter, I would love to see them take that kind of method. And, you know, like, okay, we're, we're different, but we're, we're still at the core of the same and same mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And, and Doug, that's a really interesting question and thought about can a convention, if, if they have to, to stop using the Otakon name or, or rebrand or, or do something, start a new organization, I don't even know like how any of that would work yeah Otakon plus yeah can, can <laughs> Otakon come back Neo Otakon can, can a con like start now and become what Otakon is I mean I think it can but I think it takes years um so it, it would be yeah imagine starting a 20,000 plus convention from scratch you can't you'd end up with like an extra hour in the ball pit kind of situation <laughs> right we, we've seen this happen repeatedly where people think... People scale too fast. Scale too fast or think that, oh, running a con's not uh, not hard. We can run our own con and it's hard. Yeah, one of the reasons Otakon is so successful is because it started as, like, and it, with, like, 500 people in attendance. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah I think yeah. it was Penn State or... Yep, yep. Yeah. And they just grew a little, little by little yeah. to yeah, what we have today. So... Yeah. And, Maybe maybe with the right people. So, like, you know, what really it comes down to, I think, is people are what makes the convention happen. If for some reason there's financial trouble and they can't have Otakon, maybe those people get involved and start a new convention or get involved with other local conventions and, and turn them into something better. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, hopefully that's what happens. There's a lot of... Um... Let's hope Otakon doesn't, doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about this again in a couple months and have some good news. And maybe yeah. if we get get really lucky, we can continue the discussion at Otakon. That would be <laughs> yeah, awesome. that would be great. Here's hoping. Yeah. So I think that's all the time we're gonna get into tonight uh, about this. But thank you guys for making the time. Uh, where can guys, people follow what you guys are up to? Uh, well, they can follow me on Twitter at Lauren in Space and at Gumflow101. And yeah, I don't really, I'm not very active on Twitter, so better to follow Lauren if you want to see what we're up to. Um, you know, we collaborate on Gumflow101, but I think Lauren is more of the face and I'm more of the behind the scenes kind of uh, the face. <laughs> the talents. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and I'm the guy who. Well, that's where you can yeah. find us. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. that's okay, enough. good. So, and I will personally attest to lots of great tips on Gunpool 101. Again, I it's helped revive the hobby for me. So, thank you guys. And once again, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Um, if anybody else has anything about, if you guys have questions about kind of Otakon's news or 
anything opinions don't forget to reach out to us you can send us an email at podcast at animecons.tv animecons tv is on facebook twitter instagram don't think we have a tiktok yet but we are all over the place just look us up on animecons tv and you'll be sure to find us if you want to get in touch with me personally i'm at nigoki and we'll see you guys soon thanks